I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. One of the most anticipated films of the fall is the documentary Mr. Dressup, The Magic of Make-Believe. It screened a great acclaim at the Toronto Film Festival, and uh, there's a screening for the Vancouver International Film Festival Thursday night, tomorrow night, 6.15 at the Park Theatre. The film's writer and director Robert McCallum joins me now to talk about this terrific movie. It's a marvelous look at the life and times of Ernie Coombs, the beloved Mr. Dressup, as well as the people that were uh, closest to him personally and professionally. Coombs' children are featured in the film, as well as many of the talented collaborators on the long-running children's television favorite. We see the importance of imagination in Coombs' early life and how he moved into television production and the collaboration with Fred Rogers. They both left the United States to work on programming for young people here at the CBC with Rogers starring and Coombs working as a puppeteer. Later, when uh, Rogers goes back to the United States, he recommends Coombs stay and develop his own program. And for over 30 years, he was a fixture on Canadian television and a friend to generations of children. As we see in the film, it's a who's who of Canadian popular culture and society that speak to Mr. McCallum's cameras about what Ernie Coombs meant to them and why. Everybody from the Bare Naked Ladies, Peter Mansbridge, Eric McCormack, uh, Michael J. Fox, Biff Naked, Scott Thompson, and many more are in the film, as well as terrific archival footage and interviews with Coombs himself. And featured throughout the film is Judith Lawrence, a legendary performer in her own right, who voiced and portrayed Casey and Finnegan. The film has uh, already played to other festivals and will be available on Prime Video next Tuesday, the 10th of October. The film is produced by Marble Media in association with Hawkeye Pictures and the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Rob McCallum is an Emmy-nominated and award-winning filmmaker who joined me from London, Ontario, one week ago. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, Robert McCallum. Mr. McCallum, good morning. Thanks for having me. This is so great that we get to talk to Mr. Dressup. Can you even begin to fathom a better way to spend a day? I, I can't uh, begin to, to, to fathom um, how much fun I had watching it, the movie. It's such a good movie, but at the same time, it's such a beautiful movie. Um, Thank you. Thank you very much. When did you have the idea that this was something that you wanted to do? Because it, it, as I was watching the movie, I, I, I kept thinking to myself, this is a no-brainer. I don't know why nobody has made this before. But at the same time, I, I kept thinking as I was watching all these people and these remarkable list of people that you have in the, in the film, um, this was the right time to do it almost. Yeah, it's a funny thing, right? Because I 100% agree with you. It is a no-brainer. There are not too many... Uh, Canadian institutions like Mr. Dressup and figures like Ernie Coombs um, that don't seem to have some sort of treatment or some sort of spotlight, some sort of media attention in the last five to ten years, mm-hmm. especially given the rise of our TV viewing habits. And it was remarkable that there wasn't one yet. I later found out that's not for lack of trying, as several, you know, up to a dozen or so uh, different producers had tried to get this story off the ground ever since his passing in 2001. But to me, it was just like, you know, I showed my kids some episodes. They responded incredibly well to the content. Mm. Uh, and they responded in, like, nowadays, right? This wasn't just something that I thought was cool. They thought it was cool. And I saw the power that it had and what it meant to them, even in the face of other media options that they, you know, freely consume and like just as much. And I thought, well, there's something here. There's, there's something so important about this material that if it still works today, because so much media you know, just disappears and doesn't have that lasting impact. But dress up, for whatever reason, 
continues to stand the test of time. It, it continues to be discussed for other shows. Don't seem to stay in, in the spotlight the same way. So that's yeah. when the, the professional hack got put on, and I started looking to see if there had been any documentaries. And, you know, CBC did a Life in Time uh-huh. right after his passing, uh, like a 40-minute episode. And uh, there was a Kickstarter attempt uh, a year or so before that I started this project. I've been on this project for almost five years. And about a year before I got onto an individual tried to do a Kickstarter to do it, and I reached out to him, and uh, we talked, and he had, you know, admitted to me that, you know, he wasn't exactly a seasoned filmmaker, but he recognized what my track record was, and we would be delighted if I was able to carry on where he started, because he just wanted to see a documentary on it. Yeah. Which, you know, who doesn't, right? So, yeah. you know, we worked it out, and I started the long journey to where we are today. See, I'm 41, and um, I grew up in that era just before the Internet. And so, um, you know, I loved Mr. Dressup. I, I watched him every day that I could. Uh, but because of, we didn't have the Internet, um, all I have of him is the memory. And th- th- that's the, the great thing is how this memory has sustained for so many people, people that are older than me, people that are younger than me. Um, uh, even without the Internet, that has stuck with us over the years. I mean, I'm sure that's, that's happened to you as well. Yeah, and I'm exactly the same age, so we're speaking the same language, my friend. Yeah. It's, you know, it's. But here's the thing for me: there's not a specific or concrete memory of watching the show. And as we put the film together, it's not like, okay, what's the landmark Mr. Dressup episode? Mm. What's the one where the thing happens that everybody talks about to this day? There wasn't one of those, and there's a beauty in that. The show was so consistent and constantly hitting the mark without ever having to do that special episode, right? Like, there are comic books where Spider-Man throws his costume away. There's a He-Man cartoon where He-Man gives up being, you know, the defender of Eternia. Like, there are these big, big Batman gives up on on his calling. But Mr. Dress-Up was always there to spend time with you, regardless of what else was going on in the world or in your world. You had a safe place to go, and we were going to have fun. We were going to get creative, see what we could discover, we had kind of a loose plan of what we might do. Some people might stop by and visit. Uh, we'll look in the tickle trunk and see what that leads us to do. It was the ultimate childhood fantasy. Yeah. I, you know, it, it, uh, a lot of people might, might have thought as, as they're, they're watching this film um, whether Casey was a boy or a girl. And um, you asked in the, in the film Judith Lawrence, uh, this remarkable puppeteer and collaborator with, with Mr. Dressup, and... Um, she, she she says when she's asked that by um, people whether Casey was a boy or a girl, she says yes, and I thought that was such a great answer, um, and um, it, it's something that that as I was watching the film, I thought it didn't really. Um, I, I guess being in twenty twenty three, it it it's it's the best answer, isn't it, as to to to, to, to whether Casey is a boy or a girl, right? You know, we're so quick. Uh, not by any fault of our own, but because of these mandates that are handed down to us, especially working in the entertainment field as I am, to make sure we include A, B, and C, and we pay attention to X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes the best way is to lead by example that isn't standing on top of a soapbox, but just by doing it and committing to the realness behind it, and not because you're told to, but because it's what feels right in your heart. And if you know Judith Lawrence, you know, that feels right in her heart. Because Casey can be whatever the child wants Casey to be. 
And therein lies the genius, right? That's the genius. It's, it's the child that gets to decide. The agency is always with the child. And that's why that show is so great, because it, it allows the child to be and feel the, the space and the freedom to do whatever they need to be. That's And again, the power of the tickle trunk, right? Yeah. You maybe grew up with a tickle trunk, or you knew someone that had their version of a tickle trunk, or maybe it was just a closet or a suitcase. Mm-hmm. But that show taught you that no matter what's going on at home, if you put on an old jacket or a hat or some you know, boots that were your dad, you could be whatever you want and transform. You could change that quickly because you have the imagination to do it. And when you give a child that kind of tool that those writers, producers, and directors, and Judith and Ernie did every single day, you're going to develop a, a population that is unstoppable. Yeah, and, and, and um, I forgot even that, that Finnegan didn't talk. And um, it's because you think he does. Yeah, and then and the, I think he does too. And you might not hear it, exactly. But maybe you do, and you're just waiting for Casey's reaction. Yeah, because that's how it feels to me. Like I felt he had a voice, just because it's not audible the way that adults want to hear a sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah, doesn't mean he doesn't have a voice. Doesn't mean he's not participating in a conversation. He certainly has an opinion, and yeah. sometimes it stirs the pot, and that leads to great things too. Yeah, and it, it's just it's just so right that he doesn't because yeah, it, it is what we imagine the voice to be, and and yeah, he talked all the time. We just we just you know, as an adult, I can't hear it anymore. I guess. <laughs> but you know, like the practical reason behind it as well is you know Judith Lawrence thought, wow, talking dogs, that's going to get tired real fast. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. she knew that anybody could have characters that nonstop blabber but how many of us have imaginary friends or that friend that's really quiet and is shy and only feels comfortable talking to certain people that's pretty common yeah and you know every every child you know has that special outlet that's special just to them and finnegan was casey's special companion you know it's no different than in the early days you know with big bird and cephalopagus right cephalopagus was imaginary that created a bunch of problems that they had to rectify eventually down the road. But, you know, again, Casey and Finnegan are grounded in reality. Finnegan is speaking. Finnegan does talk. You just got to learn how to listen to him yeah. or remember in our case. So, so one review, uh, Rob, of the film uh, talked about uh, the do that Judith Lawrence is getting from this film. Um, you, you realize just what a brilliant person, uh, not just puppeteer, uh, she is. Uh, what was it like to, to go to Hornby Island and, and um, be with her for the amount of time that, that uh, you spent filming for this film? It was incredibly special, and I am so proud that she's getting a bit of the spotlight. Not because she didn't deserve it before, but let's face it, the show's called Mr. Dress Up. Mm-hmm. The character's called Mr. Dress Up. Ernie's going to be in the spotlight, and rightfully so. Ernie's a very large part of the show. And behind the scenes as well, he has a presence and a say in what he feels is appropriate. But there's also a team of writers that are crafting all these episodes. And then you have somebody that is a bit of a north star for the program, and Judith Lawrence, who will put her foot down, will say what is right and what is wrong, that will talk with the writers about sexism, racism, and gender stereotypes. She's, she's a hero of mine. And I said very early on that my goal is not to, you know, to you know, heap lavish praise on Ernie because I think a lot of us know how good he is. Mm-hmm. 
you know. But what we don't know are the hardworking people behind the scenes. And the one person that's responsible for half the on-screen chemistry is Judith Lawrence. She's an absolute hero of mine. And I got to visit her on Hornby twice. Wow. And those days are something that I will never forget, will always cherish. And she'll, you know, as you've seen in the film, she doesn't quite understand the, the praise that the show gets or Casey and Finnegan necessarily. Why are all people crying? <laughs> because it means that much. Yeah. And whether I can truly articulate what she means to me, it's hard to say. But hopefully she gets how much she means to me by watching the film and seeing what she means to other people as well. And on, on a professional note, getting to work with Casey and Finnegan for those couple of scenes that are in the film, that's just beyond amazing that I got to work with my two childhood friends. Yeah. And we got to shoot a scene together. Yeah. And that I got to work with Judith Lawrence to craft that material. Unbelievable. Yeah. The um, it, 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 as I said, it, it, it's such a beautiful film. It's it's such a loving film as well, and it's not just for, from the fans and admirers that and colleagues that you talk to. Of course, it, it's it's his family, and um, in in getting to talk to, to family members, you really get a sense of who Ernie Coombs was in real life. There, there really wasn't any pretense, um, and um, it's just so lovely to see um, how moved. Um, family members are still, I mean, the the, um, the, the sequence in the film talking about uh, uh, Coombs' wife, Lynn, uh, uh, her death, um, his son is is in tears recounting that in, in the film, and it's just a, such a beautiful moment. Um, what was it like talking to the members of the family? It was everything, you know. It really was. I mean, I, I've come to count those people as my own family members. And they welcome me into their lives. Because the first thing you got to understand when you make a film, like a documentary, and there's a, it's a, there's a biography component to it, it it's about relationships. It's, yeah, you, you come away with the film, but you get so much more. And these are loving people that were very trusting and mean the absolute world to me. And I was, and still am highly protective of them and their father's legacy. And their mothers as well. And, you know, I wasn't going to let anything happen that would desecrate all that or betray anything. And in this industry, it's very easy to go down those paths. There's a lot of temptation. But we made a promise to one another to be transparent, clear, and uh, always keep each other in the loop. And because we had that foundation, the film is what it is today. It wouldn't have been possible without Chris and Kathy believing in me and trusting me, and always being there when I had questions and concerns, and, and vice versa, too. They're the best. The film couldn't be told if it was just from the show business side, yeah. because we all want to know who Mr. Dressup is, right? So without them, we, we don't get the family side, and that's what we all want to know. You know, We all want to know, was Mr. Dressup like he was on screen? And that genuine article of a person who was just as awesome as he was when the camera stopped rolling is there so gratifying to know that it's not an illusion or an artifice or an act or a disguise. You know, even Superman has to wear a disguise. Not Mr. Dressup, though. Yeah. Well, he did have these disguises throughout the day, <laughs> dressing up in the sort. Um, but but th that speaks to the power of uh, imagination. And you chronicle in the film how early on, as a child even, he had that sense of wonderment. And, and he had that right up to the end, didn't he? 
Yeah, and not everybody can be Mr. Dress-Up, right? Like, yeah. there's a line in the film from Patty Sullivan, a well-known children's personality, and she says, you know, they may try, but there will only ever be one Mr. Dress-Up. Because I don't think anybody could just plop into that role. I mean, think about this, too. He was 40 years old by the time Mr. Dress-Up, this program, not Butternut Square, but Mr. Dress-Up started. He was 40. He spent the first 40 years of his life becoming a, a commercial artist, becoming a stagehand, working with his hands, building stuff, mm-hmm. learning how to act, interact with people. He became that Swiss army knife over the 41st years of his life, struggling to find his place, struggling to find consistent work, you know, struggling even to find consistent people in his life, really. He didn't really have that until he was 30. And then the next 10 years is when he takes all of that and it crystallizes into what allows him to become Mr. Dressup because he had all these varied backgrounds and talents. Like, good luck casting somebody who can sing, dance, you know, act out, play, pretend, and has the like the philosophy in his heart mm. to project what the show is today. You can't do it. You mentioned working with Casey and Finnegan for this film. Um, the, the spaces where, where you uh, shoot the people in the film, I mean, a lot of the interviews I notice take place in front of the original set. Um, the, the, these sets, I guess, are those the ones that are in the... Uh, uh, when you enter the CBC building? No, so the sets haven't been in existence for some time. When the show wrapped, the sets died. The only thing that's in the CBC building uh, on Front Street in Toronto is the treehouse. I see. Uh, what we did was we recreated the set, which was a very lengthy two- to three-month process. And you think the set really doesn't change that much over time. And in the big ways, it does the same footprint. But there are a lot of details that subtly change in the background, the furniture, some of the paintings, some of the wall textures. So, you know, being the director, I selfishly got to pick my favorite eras of the set and my favorite details. But I also wanted something that was classic and something that could cross a few different eras and and generations. So it's pretty early 80s to to late 80s, uh, how we remember the Mr. Dressup set. But we recreated the whole thing. Now, that said, CBC did have some uh, like original artifacts I've mentioned the treehouse of course which we had in there that's the original treehouse uh-huh. uh, we also had Ernie's drawing desk which is mm. you know his original illustration area and some of the costumes that you see there are also all original and hilariously some of the some of the background touches were actually given to prop houses in the mid 90s when the show wrapped and they still had them wow when our props people went to go look for stuff of that period. Like, even down to the little scooter stools that Judith would have sat on, and underneath, flipped up, it says, Mr. Dress-Up, CBC. Wow. Um, so, it, like, we're literally touching, like, historical artifacts yeah. in our attempt to, to recreate the, the place. Yeah. You, you know, everybody, it seems, is in this movie. Was there anybody that you didn't get to talk to <laughs> that you would have wanted to talk to? Oh, I mean, we had a huge list of Canadians, you know, when it, when it comes to, like, people of note if that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, nobody said no that we approached. It was always a matter of timing. You know, was their schedule allowed them? Would they be on the continent within our shooting window? And we even explored stuff like, okay, can we go down to L.A.? Can we fly to Hawaii? Can we go to South Carolina? Like, all of these things 
we've you know explored. Let's get a remote crew. Let's do this. And ultimately, the chips fell where they, where they fell. But it was there was no resistance. There's no conflict. It was just yeah, we all want to do this. Okay, let's figure out. And you know we're pretty lucky to get everybody that that we got in terms of people of note. And it doesn't even matter though. Like I don't even know if I can say that, but like let's be real for a second. Yeah. The bare naked ladies are cool, right? They're a great group. They've had what feels like a million number one songs. But when you talk about Mr. Dress Up with them, you're just talking to your friends at recess. Wow, yeah. And that's the same feeling I got talking to everyone, whether it's Biff Naked, Michael J. Fox, Andrew Fung. I'm just talking about, you know, the, the special friends and time that we had that shared experience. You know? And that's that's what's really that that really matters most to me. That these guys all recognize the power of that show. There's a uh, scene uh, near the end of the movie where um, uh, a classroom of uh, children are, are watching Mr. Dressup. I don't know if it's for the first time, but um, it got me wondering as I was watching the film, Is, is it, do you think we'll see more of Mr. Dressup as a result, say on streaming even? You know, one can only hope. One of the reasons I made the film is because I showed my kids episode to see how they would react given everything that they watch and they fell for it hook line and sinker since the film has been rolling out across film festivals you know in the country first in toronto then in halifax and calgary and vancouver and winter and london sudbury we hear more tales of people that showcase this stuff for the youth of today because remember if you're 30 years old or younger chances are you don't know what mr drex is you don't mm-hmm. know what a tickle trunk is and thankfully this stuff still resonates it still sticks it still works and that's all by design, right? Because every, you know, two, three, four-year-old, hearing the three little pigs is brand new to you the first time you hear it. doesn't matter yeah. when it is at time. And when you see Mr. Dressup put on those costumes, that's always going to be entertaining. So I, I hope that there's a bit of a groundswell for, you know, an opportunity to, to view some of this stuff. Because even though the set and the format might feel or look a little dated to our 4K HD savvy brains that we have <laughs> nowadays um you know that quickly goes away yeah it really quickly goes away because it, it's that good it's yeah. that good it's that timeless too i, I remember watching the film and, and thinking you know i i can't see why um people won't love this this documentary that you've made um because uh it's something that they could re-watch with with all kinds of audiences you know what i mean well i was fortunate to have my eight-year-old son and my five-year-old daughter with me at the premiere of this, and they haven't seen any of this. I mean, they know right. Daddy's been working on a Mr. Dress-Up documentary. Casey and Finnegan may have made a video for them when Daddy visited them on Hornby Island. Uh-huh. You know, perks of perks of making the movie, <laughs> but they had never seen it. They had watched episodes, of course, but they sat and enjoyed the documentary, because they had seen clips that they hadn't seen before, yeah. and there's just enough clips in there for them who like it, and they get to see Mr. Dressup talking as well about making the show and people that work with Mr. Dressup. It's pretty phenomenal. At the end, after the premiere in TIFF, Chris Coombs was there, and my son told my wife that I'm going to go. I'm going to go talk to him. And he just got up, and my son's what I would call a little shy, a little, sure. you know, reserved. And he just decided he was going to get up, and he said, "My dad made a movie about your dad, and that means a lot to oh, me. Man. I want to give you a hug. I want to give you a hug." And he gave Chris a hug, and Chris just, like, teared up. Like, what's he going to do? You know? Like, that's the power of Mr. Dress-Up. Yeah. 
that's really the power. I, it, it's a it's a beautiful film, as I said, Rep. Um, I, I've reached you. Are you in Chicago at the, as I'm speaking to you? No, I'm in London, Ontario. I see. I I, I heard you were in Chicago. Are you are you working on something else now? I'm working on a ton of things, most of which I can't say anything about because of those darn NDA contracts. But hopefully, we can announce something soon. Well, you 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 will doubtless gain many many fans um, for your work after this film. Um, congratulations on, on a beautiful movie and, and continued good luck with it. I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the insights that you were able to pull from the film and uh, that, that, it, that it touched you in the right way, that that kindness is still in your heart and that you're taking the time to help share our message with the world. Thank you so much. The uh, documentary screens at the Vancouver International Film Festival Thursday night. That's uh, tomorrow night, the 5th of October, 6.15 p.m. at the Park Theatre on Camby. Uh, the movie is called Mr. Dress-Up, The Magic of Make-Believe, and its writer and director, Robert McCallum, join me on the line from London, Ontario, and Vancouver. I'm Joseph Plunton.